Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 9, verse, starting in verse 24. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. Verse 25, so he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. 26, he also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. 27, may God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. This is the backdrop to chapter 10 in Genesis. Chapter 10 in Genesis, if you've read it, you even a cursory reading, you will see a genealogy of sorts that is there. It is a genealogy unlike any others that exist from the ancient world. It is a genealogy that includes names of people, names of tribes, names of cities, and nation locations inside of it. It is a genealogy that falls right after the curse and blessing that Noah gives to his three sons. And we must keep that in mind when we read this genealogy, or else we will just say, why is it there? What are we supposed to do with all these names? What does it mean to me as a Christ follower today? Well, I'm going to tell you the key to all of life is this. Life is either redemption or curse. There is no middle ground. You either fall under the redeemed side or the cursed side in life. There is no partially one or partially the other. You're either found saved and redeemed or you're found cursed and damned. And we see that in this genealogy that we're going to, going to examine right here. The title of this message is Deep Roots because it is a family tree of sorts that runs the whole way back that we see here. But this specific genealogy, not only is it unique and different than anything else that existed in the ancient world, but it is also very accurate. It tells us what happened after the flood. It tells us what happened after the entirety of the human race but for eight people were destroyed. It tells us how God, through his wrath, had destroyed the world, and now he is redeeming the world through his actions. Verse 1, and I will give the warning here, I will not be touching on all the verses in this chapter. Uh, I will take it from John Calvin himself. If you desire to dive into all the genealogies and try to match them up with all the peoples of the world at that time, that's great, and please do that. But you can get lost in the weeds of what is actually happening here to take the entirety of a message to do that, and you will miss the redemptive work of God in his actions here. And we just, it's more classroom work to find that out. Uh, and you will find some dead ends there because we know that nations and peoples change names over time as time, time moves on. But it says there in verse 1, now these are the records, in, in, in Hebrew it's the Toledot, the records, the generations, 
of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, the sons who were born to them after the flood. It sounds very similar to the language that was given in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, where it says, Now these are the records, same word, Toledot, of the generations of Noah. So we had the generations of Noah coming into the flood, and now after the flood, now we have the generations of Noah's sons. We have the genealogy of Noah's sons. These three that would be those patriarchal roles of bringing about, going forth, and filling the earth. Inside this, this particular uh, this, this particular passage, these 32 verses, you also find interesting things too, before we move too much further, or what are referred to as colophons. Colophons are summations of information that is given. We will find what is a colophon for Japheth, we will find one for Ham, and we will find one for Shem that we're going to talk about. Just a summation of these people there. But perhaps more interestingly, for everyone that's sitting here today, is the number of sevens that are in this particular passage. Now, a little bit of study in for Israelite culture or whatnot, seven was definitely viewed as a number of completion, a number of perfection. It's used all over the all over the scripture. Now, we're not practicing numerology, but we are saying that this has been arranged in various sevens that we will find in this scripture. For example, listed in this chapter, this one where the records of the generations are the seven grandsons of Noah. You have Gomer, Javan, Cush, Mizraim. Mizraim is also is the Hebrew for Egypt. Canaan, Aram, and Arapachad. So the seven grandsons. Then within Japheth's genealogy, you find seven sons and seven grandsons. And then in Ham's genealogy, you find seven descendants of Cush, seven cities of Nimrod, and seven sons of Mizraim. In total, when you get through this, you find 70 nations from three sons. We always must ask yourself, how does this fit into either redemption or curse? How does this fit into God's redemptive plan for mankind? We will see three parts in here that talks about the sons, Japheth, Ham, and Shem. Two of which will be our main focus, and that will be Ham and Shem. Of course, Japheth, we remember from the blessing that Noah gave that uh, Japheth would be found in the camp of Shem as, uh, as one of Shem's there. Shem is the line, the redeemed line that comes through. Curse and redemption, all of life is either curse or redemption. All of life is either death or life. In verse 2, the sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, and Meshech, and Tyrus. We notice that now that the order that was given of the sons of Noah in verse 1 are now flipped, and we start with Japheth. 
his sons are listed, which gives us some insight into the nations that are there. It would say in 3 and 4 that the sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz and Rapith and Togarmah. The sons of Jabin were Elisha and Tershish and Kittim and Dadaim. And we get to this curious verse in verse 5 where it says, from these, from these peoples, from these, these sons and grandsons, from them, from these, the coastlands of the nations were separated into their lands. Now, that's pretty interesting. You would say, well, that's right, because God told them to go forth and flourish and multiply, to fill the earth. But then curiously, it says this right afterwards. It says, they were separated into their lands. Great. Everyone, according to his language, according to their families, and into their nations. Now Stephen next week is going to speak or preach on the, the Tower of Babel, and we know that when we get into the Tower of Babel in the first verse of chapter 11, it says, now the entirety of the world was of one language. But here we have, it says that they were separated into the coastlands according to his language, according to their families, and into their nations. So we have to address, we won't call it an elephant in the room, but an interesting thing. We say, well, how could that be if we haven't even got to the Tower of Babel yet? You're going to run into this into the Scripture. You're going to, you're going to see it yourself, because you would read through this, and then you would say, oh, it looks like they're split up, and now we run into the Tower of Babel, and hold it, now it says we split up. What's going on here? Is the Bible wrong? I'm going to say, no, the Bible isn't wrong, the Bible's right. It's a method of narrative in, in history uh, uh, recording that is going on here. We see a similar thing in Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 gives us a large overview of creation, and Genesis 2 gives us the specifics. We see a similar thing here where 10 gives us a large overview of the nations. You'll recall, or per perhaps you know, that it's referred to as the table of nations, all of chapter 10. And so, and then we get specifics that occur in verse in chapter 11 that both Stephen and then John the following week are going to speak about. So we want to keep that in mind. Moses here has recorded this information in, in chapter 10, and he's painting with sort of a large brush, a big canvas of the world to show what is what it is and where all the nations have come from. All the nations, not some of the nations. All the nations came. So we want to keep that big picture in mind when we go through this and how it fits in with curse or redemption. Curse or redemption. And right there in verse 5, that's where we see that, that entry, that weird word, colophon. That's the first one. We had talked about, Moses has given us that information about Japheth and his family, and it says, these, from these, the coastlands of every nation. It is a signature at the end. It's a telling story at the end. It's a summary. It says that all these things that happened before, these are the, the maritime people. These are the ones that went to the coastline. These are the ones that had a specific language when they went, as they went there. 
and they were, they were divided into this specific language according to their families and into their nations. That's Japheth. Now we get to verse 6, and these are the sons of Ham. And we remember from that passage in Genesis chapter 9 that Ham is the line that receives the curse. Ham's line is the one that will be serving the others. Keep in mind, what does this have to do with the overall redemptive picture that God's going to paint? How does this cursed line, uh, why we ask ourselves, why is this here? If we know that's a cursed line, but we also have to say it's important that it's here because God has made it so that this is what's recorded at being here. We, we see some high-level things that go on here in starting in verse 6. right? It says the sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, and Put, and Canaan. We recognize Canaan. Uh, we have an idea where a putt was at, that he would end up somewhere, somewhere I believe it's east, or excuse me, west of where Egypt was at. We know Mizraim in Hebrew is the word for Egypt that we have there. In verse 7, it tells us the sons of Cush were Seba and Havalah and Sabiah and Ramah and Sabtika, and the sons of Ramah were Sheba and Dadan. These people that came out of the flood that had these children, and we have this genealogy that is important for God that we know. And then it says these words. Now Cush, in verse 8, became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one on the earth. Now we read that and we say, well, that sounds great. He was uh, a man of renown. He was a man of power. And maybe it appears a little bit flat in our Scripture for what's being said there. That this mighty one on the earth, it maybe perhaps sounds good to us. But when we get behind the words that are used there, it means a proud person. A person that magnifies themselves. A tyrant. A person that acts with extreme aggression. And those are all some synonyms that are behind this word. This mighty one who was Nimrod. This one who is specifically pointed out and pulled out to tell us a little bit more about. What we should read here is this is not the person of model behavior. I'm just taking it from that verse. When we get to the next verse, we're going to find a little bit more about this. But yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't read that and say, well, he's a mighty one. I want to be like Nimrod. Well, no. We're going to see some things about Nimrod that are going to remind us of some other people that we've already run into the Scripture. Remember, we're ten chapters in the first book. The beginning. That isn't a lot. But a lot has happened. And it says in verse 9 that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. I mean, again, words that may sound a little bit flat to us. 
Words that may paint a picture that might not be correct for us. Words that we should look at and say, well, hold on a second. This Nimrod is in the curse line. And if I'm looking at this Nimrod in the curse line, and I'm thinking good things about the Nimrod in the curse line, then maybe I'm thinking wrongly about what's being said here. Maybe I have to remember what the curse was to what what the curse was to to Ham's line, and this is where he's at. Maybe really I shouldn't look at this as model behavior. Maybe I should look behind what is being said here. Like Nimrod. A mighty hunter. It says, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. It would be worthwhile to say to ourselves, and we look at that, there's more to this hunting than it is gathering game. We could say, when we see a little bit more here, that this is a, for lack of a better term, a hunter of men. And I don't mean out hunting men to kill them, although he is a killer. What I mean, that he is a hunting, uh, he's a hunter of men to bring about his own desires. To be over men. To control men. Micah 7.2 tells us that the godly person has perished from the land and there is no upright person among men. All of them lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other with a net to ensnare them, to enslave them. This is a man, Nimrod, is a seeker of the lives of men for his own gain, for his own renown, for his own worship. It is the image of a self-sufficient man who looks at the Creator and says, I do not need you. I can do all the things that I want to do whenever I want to do them. It is the epitome of the man in Psalm 52.7. Psalm 52.7 where it says, Behold the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. We see this man as the fulfillment of, Anagalus uh, uh, to the curse. Psalm 20, verse 7 would say to us that some boast in chariots and some in horses. Some boast in chariots, but some in horses. Horses. The first verse of the first part A of that verse of seven of, of Psalm 20. Uh, this uh, Nimrod is the one who boasts in those types of things. Because we see that the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Eric and Akkad and Kelna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went forth into Assyria and built Nineveh and Rehoboth, Hoboth Ir and Calais, and resin between Nineveh and Calais, that is a great city. This man was a conqueror. This man was a city builder. And we recall there was another city builder too. Cain. Cursed is Cain. Cain built a city when he wasn't told to do so. Cain built a city when he, when he was told to be a wanderer. 
we have Nimrod doing similar things here. This before God, this the, the, the mighty hunter before the Lord, it is almost an affront to God, is what he is. He is the man that says, I do not need you. Everything that I have is from my hands, not from you, God. This is a non-God worshiper. His face is set against God. Unlike Jesus, whose face was set like flint to the cross, to redeem, Nimrod's face is set like flint against God in all that God stands for. This is who this defiant man is. This is that defiant man who was a son of one of Noah's sons. It was the relation to Noah's sons who they knew about the flood. There is a good chance that Noah is still alive while this is going on. They had direct witness to what God had done to those who were an affront to the Lord. And yet he's choosing to do it again. He's choosing to be that person again. In Genesis 9-1, when God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, the difference between filling the earth and building cities is great. Building cities is where we go and we, we, we construct barriers around us to protect us. To go forth and multiply is to go everywhere and fill the earth with God's, the image of God bearers. But Nimrod's not doing that. And we find here, the, the city that is at the forefront is Babel, or Babel, depending on how you pronounce it. Remember how I said that this is a big overview of things that we'll see next week. Nimrod is the one who constructs Babel. Stephen will tell you next week all about what that looked like for Babel to be constructed and what the tower meant. But, try, but, but I want you to know here that this is a man that is set against the will of God. This is a man that is not the image we want to follow. This is a man that is through the line that is of the cursed line of Canaan. This is a man that let me take a little side there for just a moment. Just think about this for a second. All the sons of Noah were blessed by God, right? But the curse comes to Canaan, not to Ham, right? Uh, God stands by what he has blessed, right? God does what he does in accordance with what he says he will do. God is true to his word and unchanging, immutable in everything that he does. So when you see this overview of this kingdom, of this man here, this is the cursed line uh, that comes out. This is a man who is, is acting like his relative from before Cain, who is building this city that will be a direct affront to the Lord, whose people 
in this of the sons of Ham, these people here, Nimrod of one of them, would represent the major rivals of the Israelites. Who would be difficult for the Israelites for many, many hundreds of years to come. Nimrod then is that precursor to those kings and rulers of the earth that we find in Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where it says, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear the fetters apart and cast away the cords for us. We have from us, we have no need for God. We have no need for his laws. We have no need for anything from him. When you see these, uh, we see that today. Nations and countries that are against each other, but they are absolutely together in being against the things of God. You see it with all sorts of things. Anti-Christianity, pro-abortion, pro-homosexuality, all these things. Nations that are against each other, but supporting all these things that are against the Lord. You see it everywhere. And you end that section in verse 20 with that colophon again. This is the summary. It says, These are the sons of Ham according to their families, according to their languages, by their lands, and by their nations. This is that cursed line. The redemption will not come through them. The redeemed line will not come through this line of Ham. But the next line, Verse 21. So remember we have that reverse order. So now we have the redeemed line. And we might skip over this if we didn't think about it for a minute. We'll never hear of Nimrod again, except in passing. Or what he did. We won't hear about him in Genesis again. But what we do hear about is we hear about the line through which the redemption is going to come. Moses is ending, ending this particular chapter in chapter 10, on the redemption line. On the line through which redemption is going to come through. And the whole rest of the book is going to be because of that line. The whole rest of the book of of Genesis is going to focus on that particular line. Is what we're going to see. It says, Also to Shem, the father of the children of Eber, and the older brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem were... Elam, Asher, Arpachshad, and Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram were Uz, and Hul, and Gether, and Mash. Arpachshad became the father of Shelah, and Shelah became the father of Eber. The two sons were born to Eber. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. Peleg is our key. And at the moment, this is all we hear about Peleg. That strange name. And I guarantee you haven't met many people that have been named Peleg. You know, it's just a, and the name means divided. The name finds its, its words in Hebrew from divided. And it is through Peleg that Abraham will come. 
We see it re- that redemptive line repeated in 1 Chronicles chapter 1, 24-27, where it says, Shem, Arpachashad, Shela, Eber, Peleg, Ru, Serug, Nahor, Terah, Abraham, that is Abram, that is Abraham. The way of salvation is being paved through this genealogy. And Moses, the recorder of this, God wants them to know where this comes from. How the redemption comes through. The way, how that way of salvation will come about. How God will be true to all His promises. And we could say that the way of salvation is being paved. However, it might be better to say that the way of salvation is fully paved even at this time. We just don't see it. Nor do they. But God sees the end from the beginning. He knows everything that is going to happen just like you were chosen to believe in Him since before the foundation of the earth. That this line of salvation is coming through this genealogy and God wants us to know. He wants us to see how magnificent and massive the plan is in what was necessary to bring about redemption through Christ Jesus. It wasn't just a snap of the fingers. It was God's plan from the beginning. From the time spoken words by the triune God came out and everything was created. This chapter then ends with two colophons. 31, these are the sons of Shem according to their families, according to their languages, by their lands, according to their nations. And then 32, these are the families of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, by their nations. Out of these, the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. But it just, it just is so interesting to just, he all that said about Peleg here. He was named because in those days the earth was divided. But that line through Peleg is the one through which salvation will come. God's great plan of redemption will come. God's great plan of redeeming all of us who believe in Christ Jesus. So we note there's four or five things that we note about this genealogy that is here in chapter 10. First, there is nothing random that is here. Everything that is given is important because it's God's Word. It has been recorded purposefully to tell the story of origin for all people. There is not one that is found outside of this origin story. We are part of this origin story here. It shows how all the nations came into being. Second, we find that it shows that God is a sovereign God. That the nations and the peoples have clear origin and for a clear purpose for God's plans. We know that God's plans can involve using pagan nations to punish Israel so that they will come back to Him. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8, 
Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8. Uh, this is in what is referred to as the Song of Moses. And we could... I'll give you a little aside on this. This Song of Moses. Take this away when it comes to songs. You, you are what you sing. You are what you sing. The words you sing affect who you are and what you believe. So it's important what we listen to and what we repeat. In verse, in chapter 32, verse 8, it says these words, When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when He separated the sons of man, He set the boundaries of the people, peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. It was all, wherever they went, was exactly as God designed it to be. There was no randomness for where the people went. So when they went to the plains, that is exactly where God desired them to go. And when they went to the coastlands, or coastlines, that was exactly where God desired them to go. All placed, all there, not and all there by their own free will, but all part of God's sovereign plan. Thirdly, we would see here the common ancestry for all of us. The common ancestry for all of us. Not only have they been set in certain locations, but we are all from common blood. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 17, verse 26. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. This is Paul's speech at the Areopagus in Athens on Mars Hill. It's in the, about the middle of it. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. It says, He, that is God, made from one man, it also, a correct translation there, He made from one blood every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. There is no such thing as race other than the human race. We are all of the same exact ancestry, a line of sinners that stretches the whole way back. There are no men or women or children or babies on this planet that have ever existed or ever will exist that are outside of this one blood. All from a common ancestry. Fourth, we would find that the nations serve a purpose for God's sovereign plan. And Israel will be the center of it. Israel is through which it, the redemption comes. Israel is the harbinger of what is to come for the Messiah. Even Jesus talks about that when He says, I came first for the Jew than for the Gentile. It is God's plan for His redemption to come and to bless through that nation of Israel. So the nations themselves represent either blessing or curse. It is the sovereign plan of the Most High God and there are no mistakes. It is exactly working as He has desired it to work. A couple of Psalms. Look at Psalm 82. 
verse 8, Psalm 82, verse 8. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is you who possesses all the nations. And then go to verse 9. I say, excuse me, 80, 86 verse 9. Sorry about that. 86 verse 9. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. Psalm 110.5. And we want to remember that Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. It is a royal psalm. It is the enthronement of the Messiah. But Psalm 110 verse 5 says this, The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of His wrath. He will judge among, among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. So those are four parts that we find in this genealogy. And we'll end here. But the most important part that we find is we find hope in this genealogy. We find hope and trust like the Israelites who this was given to found hope and trust in that. When they were being beset or told to take over the land of the Canaanites, they could look back to this book and see that they were promised exactly that. And it would come to pass. They would struggle against them, but they would ultimately conquer them per God's promise in Genesis chapter 9, verse 25, where he said, Cursed be Canaan, the servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. Therefore, through this, we can find that hope too in this message that we see God's plan of redemption through Christ. It doesn't, his plan of redemption doesn't end at the dividing of the nations. It is through Jesus Christ who redeems the lost and redeems all of us who fall under the curse of sin, which is all of us. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1 tells us this. I saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or, or, or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and his seven seals. Jesus, the line of Judah. Jesus is from the line of Peleg. He's from the line of Shem, from the line of Noah, from the line of Lamech, from the line of Seth, from Adam. The deep roots that go the whole way back to the beginning for God's redemptive plan that we are the blessed partakers of, we who believe as Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Verse 6 of Revelation chapter 5 says this, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing. Now the lion of Judah looking as a lamb, as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out onto all the earth, 
And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God in your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. They will reign upon the earth. This genealogy for you as a Christ follower and believer is your genealogy. This is your family tree. That line of Peleg is your family tree. The line of Shem is your family tree. It is your history. It is your hope comes through that line. A sure and true hope. It is the blessing of Christ Jesus that satisfies the curse of sin. We close on Revelation 7-9. And after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. This is the hope that belongs to all of you who are found in Christ Jesus. And I pray that if you are not found in Christ Jesus, that you can speak to one of us today so that we can tell you all about the glorious and precious hope that is found in our Lord and Savior, the only Lord and Savior there is. Let's pray. God, thank you for this New Year's Day, another day that we have been allowed to live on this planet to proclaim your glories, to worship you. We ask that you are with us during this service, that you would humble our hearts, that you would give us grace and mercy to all those that need grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.